luckily it's far enough away. We had been, we had some time as grazing out in this far field across this pond. And, you know, I started just doing all this breathing and obviously being a vegan, you got to have some yoga background. So, <laughs> Oh, that's good. Got into that mentality. Aspect. Yeah. Got all Zen before you go yeah. back. Yeah. Not, not many yogis doing yogi breathing, holding a rifle. Welcome to the Hunt Back Country podcast today. This is episode number 266. And our first time guest is, uh, it's a first for me as well. I think it's the first former vegan turned backcountry hunter that I've talked to uh, for the podcast or maybe in general. But this was a, a fun conversation to have. As you'll hear, uh, our guest Randy is an EXO customer that I happened to see and get in contact with and wanted to hear more about his story and how he went from vegan to backcountry elk hunter. And so that's what we discussed today. This isn't all about uh, veganism or anything like that. We do dive into that a little bit, but also it's a great perspective of someone who is a new hunter, a beginning hunter, the value of mentorship and hunting, and so much more. So you'll hear about that in this episode. And as always, thank you for tuning in. If you're enjoying the show, we would love to hear your feedback. You can contact us directly via email to podcast at exomountaingear.com. It would also help us tremendously if you could leave a review in iTunes or wherever else you might be listening to this, and also share the show with a friend. So thank you guys for the support. Let's dive right into this conversation with Randy. Randy, welcome to the Hunts Back Country podcast, man. Excited to chat with you today, and thanks for taking the time. Yeah, honored to be on here. I'm excited. Yeah, I, uh, I kind of tracked you down. I didn't want to play total stalker, but I have. I happened to see, I think, because maybe you had like an Instagram post that tagged us or something like that. I saw something, uh, you know, you posted about an elk that you recently uh, killed this year. And then I realized you're a customer and then I, you know, read part of your caption. I was like, I think this guy has a cool story. So I kind of tracked you down and reached out to see if you be up for talking on the podcast and all that. But, uh, man, just kick things off with a quick intro. Feel free to share whatever, you know, personal context. And we'll obviously be diving into some of your story and history. But uh, just, man, introduce yourself. Cool. Yeah. Uh, my name is Randy. Uh, I live in Utah just outside of Park City area. Uh, I grew up in Park City for most part. I was born in Colorado. Um, did not grow up hunting, but big fan of outdoors. Grew up doing pretty much everything else you can do outside. And yeah, my wife and I own a coffee shop in Park City. Main line of work and recently got into hunting the last few years and found your guys' podcast and your pack was the first piece of gear ever recommended to me. Oh, cool. Great for that when I finally got my first elk to haul that out. <laughs> yeah, we can we can talk about that. I remember you mentioned in one of your emails that one of those loads was like 112 pounds. So you, you certainly went like heavy and serious right away with it. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah, it was. Did it in one trip. So it was yeah. cool. 
Yeah. So it's a coffee house. I'm just curious. Steve and I are both coffee nerds a little bit. Um, do you guys roast as well or uh, no in the coffee house? We don't roast. Um, we just serve it with kind of cafe, bookstore, yeah. mostly coffee and some food. But uh, yeah, we use a local roaster, but right. it's kind of like I'm super into coffee, but it's like coffee and roasting are kind of like two separate entities. Mm. You can get really into the roasting part and really into the serving and yeah. preparing, but it's hard to do both really good. Yeah, got it. What is uh, what's your go-to coffee like on a multi-day hunt? Are you still like coffee picky, or you just take whatever just because it's easy and convenient in the backcountry? It's funny. I'm actually like just whatever, <laughs> yeah. easy, convenient. I do a a mini AeroPress mm. is kind of a go-to, and actually that's mostly what we drink at home. It's just AeroPress at home, like yeah. black coffee, and then. When we're at the shop, I'll do espresso and like taste testing a lot of different lattes and stuff. But yeah, yeah, just the good smooth black coffee. Cool man, right That's there with you. Trip. Got an AeroPress sitting here right next to me. It's it's the daily for sure. Yep, it Sweet. does a good job. It's so simple. Nice. Um, well, yeah, I don't want to derail a hunting podcast and coffee <laughs> too much longer. So you know, part of what was. Uh, unique about your story just to dive into it was as you mentioned growing up did a ton of stuff outdoors didn't hunt at all Um, and you can kind of comment maybe I don't know the full story and if you were even exposed to hunting at all but if we go back like a few years handful of years ago you're actually um, a vegan and so obviously making a transition from a few years to go as a vegan to now hunting and hunting in the backcountry uh, you know, it's certainly a cool story to kind of talk about. And honestly, it's not just the story. I'm kind of really interested in hearing about what that looked like for you, just because you with that story, that background, that context have a much different perspective uh, than I do. And then a, a lot of our listeners do. And so I just, man, I'm one of those guys that when I, you know, encounter something different, uh, something other, like, I don't want to hold that at a distance actually i'm like really curious about it right and so that's the main reason that even personally i wanted to talk to you is just kind of to get more perspective um because i just have a limited perspective and i think you have a different perspective but going back like how long had you been a vegan and why did you kind of make that choice kind of like always eaten relatively healthy growing up you know and been me and my wife kind of into you know eating healthy not fast food every day and stuff but it was 2017, we decided to kind of read some books, actually listen to another like this Ironman podcast guy and decided to try out the vegan diet. Like it just, it was mostly for health reasons, not really like animal rights or anything, but just kind of wanted to see, we've heard a lot of stuff and our food chain supply is just kind of really hidden from us, I think. And so me and my wife kind of dove in full on and I was, I did it a solid vegan diet for about 18 months, year and a half. Mm-hmm. And she still pretty much follows it three years now, except she'll eat elk. And yeah, it was, it was interesting. It was, I noticed a lot of change, like in my body and performance, like it was kind of like every time you eat a meal, you feel like energy. You didn't feel like that food coma. Mm-hmm. And I'd go, you know, weeks without going on a bike ride and be able to bang out 15, 20 mile mountain bike ride and 
still feel pretty good. And I was attributing that a lot to the diet, but it kind of made me more aware just about our food supply. And I like almost made me more interested in meat. And I was like kind of missing it, obviously. I don't think any vegan in the world can smell bacon and not say that. <laughs> I want that, you know? Yeah. You can lie all you want. But so I kind of like started looking into that more and it just, the whole disconnect of our food chain and our food supply made me really like kind of curious about hunting. I was like, we started our own garden and, you know, we live at 8,000 feet. So our garden season's like six weeks. So that mm-hmm. doesn't work very well, but that same idea, like just harvesting your own food. I was like, that's exactly what hunting is. I kind of realized and it was a weird approach to take, but a lot of fellow vegans and other people I know, I was like almost embarrassed to say that I like wanted to try hunting. But if you break it down, it's the exact principle that they're trying to live by. It's just no one I don't think is open-minded enough to realize that part. Yeah, dude, that's, that's, that alone is helpful because I think, it's very easy to default and hear vegan um, and just assume like, oh, vegan equals animal rights, going to immediately be anti-hunting, going to be opposed to our way of life as hunters, et cetera. And as you just said, like for you, it wasn't necessarily the animal rights. Yes, like you have concerns about the commercial food chain and all that, which I totally get and I'm on board with. Um but as you said, you go down this road as a vegan and you've actually find that there's maybe more connection with hunters. Whereas on the surface, it would just be super easy to assume it's the exact opposite, that there's this massive disconnect uh, when in reality, there's maybe a lot of commonalities, right? Yeah, totally. I think it's just, yeah, I think, like you said, I think hunters get a weird term. When vegans hear hunters, they think it just, savages killing things for fun and hunters tear vegan and they're just a bunch of hippies roaming around in the forest and so it's funny like I was almost like I said embarrassed to tell other vegan people on the hunt and I've been embarrassed to tell hunters that he's the vegan I think as the only guy REI buying backpacker vegan backpacker meals to go hunting with (laughs) (laughs) yeah so it's kind of this weird disconnect there but yeah I think a lot of a lot of similarities if you get rid of the terminology and just putting a label on it even a lot of vegans hate the term vegan like I like to you know say eat more plant-based because you can be vegan and just eat Doritos and french fries and and not be healthy not at all. Not necessarily healthy. Yeah. So it doesn't necessarily mean that anyway. Hmm. So when you, you when you went through this and then now you're you have an interest in hunting um, for the food aspect, like how did you even start? Just you know, I'm always curious and we run into this a lot with podcast listeners, just essentially guys get online doing research, find our podcast, for example, and we hear the story of like, man, I just Growing up, I, I didn't hunt. I didn't, I didn't know anyone who hunts. I still don't know someone who hunts, and they're basically figuring it out on their own. Um, but, like, for you, what did that, when you decided, okay, I'm truly serious, I want to get into hunting, like, how did you even start? Because I'm sure that can just be completely overwhelming. Yeah, it definitely is. Um, I'm definitely the kind of guy, like, 
I over-research and over-analyze everything, especially comes on to gear and sports. So that part was kind of that intriguing factor. But um, I mainly started, little backstory, I had, I had a shoulder surgery, a pretty major surgery in spring of 2019. And that was from a series of mountain bike crashes and races. And I finally had to get it fixed. And so I was on the couch for, I was in a sling for 12 weeks and couldn't do anything that's kind of what got me into that meat side, looking into how to get more protein and kind of heal myself quicker. And that's, that kind of started the like idea of like, you know, elk meat, obviously a way to get good way to get protein, healthy way to get protein, the most organic meat you get, like kind of sparked all this, you know, the wheels rolling in my head. But as I started getting into it, um, I did have help, like a good buddy of mine who's, like my mentor with hunting lives nearby and he's been elk hunting for about 10 years and you know we've hung out but obviously like he'd go hunting for the fall and I just wouldn't see him and I didn't think twice about it but as I started getting curious you know I'd ask him stuff but I spent that 12 weeks I was sitting on the couch with my shoulder healing up just googling everything left and right um obvious I started Getting into the rifle, obviously, with that shoulder, the thought of pulling a bow back was never going to be an option. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so kind of dove into the gun aspect, and that was a big part of coming from vegan. Obviously, I'm thinking very ethically as far as if I want to get this meat, I want to have a sure shot. I want to make an ethical kill and make sure it happens quick, pain, and, and painless. So researched into the gun part a lot, slowly got into shooting that summer and gotten into hand loading. And then just, you know, like you said, Google researching and just reading everything I can, listening to everything I could. And like I said, over research a lot. So I digested quite a bit of information over those few months. And it just made me even more curious and more excited. Yeah, that's cool. As you were doing all that research, did you find it pretty easy to find information that was helpful or did you sometimes be like man i just like there's either conflicts and advice or it's just uh like too complicated for a beginner to understand like i was just curious about that because again it being overwhelming and i know especially today even compared to five years ago there's so much more information out there online um and i sometimes have wondered like how much of this is truly helpful to people outside call it the bubble the hunting bubble uh versus how much is just only helpful to people that already understand they're already involved um if that makes sense you know yeah no it's 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 kind of but like it's almost too much information and like i found a lot of general information i felt like i kind of knew the path like i've already been really good at the scouting aspect and I'm used to being in the mountains and hiking through the woods. And so that started to make sense, but like starting to actually just find information, like from a beginner level on how elk move and talk and understanding that it was, it was tough. Like I, I don't think any of us really <laughs> still understand. That's always the process. <laughs> but like, yeah. Like finding information on that of like, you know, 
like what is a bugle most guys probably laugh at me on here saying that but no that's like a perfect example of i could see you know pulling up this article that's talking about elk bugling blah 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 which only makes sense if you know what that is but that yeah that's a perfect example of like does that does this information this article what have you even speak to people who are just trying to understand the basics because the terminology they just goes over their head um and all context is lost so that's an interesting example yeah that's kind of i finally uh stumbled on um the elk 101 that Corey jacobson so i i did the university and that was actually a ton of useful information not to throw an ad in there but oh no um, that helped a lot like he did a really good job just breaking it down so i listened to those kind of episodes and chapters on the way to work and that took it like you know there's still a ton of research after but that kind of broke it down start to finish really helpfully for me so after that I was like okay but you know still figuring out like I kind of figure out what to do and I was like okay but like you know once you put feet on the ground and you're out scouting and trying to figure out what a thermal is and which way and how it's going to relate to you. And mm-hmm. It's a whole nother just head game. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I've, I've said many times and like, it's a hundred percent true that the university of elk hunting, that um, course from Corey Jacobson is like the best resource to start with if you're new to elk hunting. And it's because yes, the information itself is good. If you just take, each section for what it is that alone is good but i think one of the things that makes it exponentially valuable is you have everything in one place so instead of you having to like go watch this youtube video read this forum look at that magazine read this online article and you're now getting all this different information from different people like that's a truly like a one-stop shop on elk hunting and it covers not just the hunt itself but it covers like the pre stuff, the post stuff. So like selecting states, selecting units, doing e-scouting, doing on the boots scouting, how to hunt during the hunt, what to do after the hunt, the pros and cons of like bow versus rifle and all that stuff. Like it truly pretty much hits everything. And so it'll have all that in one place is uh, super beneficial. So yeah, not to be a commercial, but that's just a hundred percent true. Um, I think if you, if guys are hearing this and interested, uh, if you go over there and check that out, Put in the code XO20, so EXO20, and I'm pretty sure that'll still give you 20 bucks off um, the course if you're interested. So that's at elk101.com. Uh, an unintentional commercial over. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, I think, and one other thing with uh, just the way, it, like you say, it's all there, but it's also an order, which yeah. is a huge, like, you're not starting with how to call, like, yeah, it leads so you kind big, of step like by it step. It led me through, and then I would just do side research on the side from like, oh, what is that? And then start YouTube and different stuff there. But it like the start to finish, the order of it, it was really helpful. What role did, because it sounds like, you know, you're doing a ton of online research, looking at the courses, you got the downtime with your injury, you're checking stuff out. But then going back to that piece you mentioned, a buddy who was a hunter. Uh, and I know he's kind of become your mentor. Like how important was that piece of it? Um, you know, in terms of being able to talk with someone or get in the field with someone, like 
just talk through that experience of truly having that that mentor piece with this journey for you that is a huge factor and you know it helped having like someone around while you're you're getting ready for the season and like you know i'm like what does this mean or what do you do here like i've read 2000 articles saying this but what do you like comparing it to someone that's actually done it Mm -hmm. that i trust and know like having that comparable is really nice but the biggest factor like coming down is that was my hunting buddy when we went out my first time and so like it's one thing just researching and getting ready and like i felt really confident like i know what to do but then you go out and having someone that you can just whisper a question to or like you finally hear a bugle for your first time like is that two miles away or is that 200 feet away like <laughs> yeah it's just you know it's hard to little weird things like that i need to use the bugle as an example but having someone just with you that knowing is that was huge for me yeah i think that's kind of priceless like i I think the learning curve, if you're going by yourself or just super new without someone that's done it, definitely would have been a longer learning curve for me. Yeah. And that's, I mean, that's a part where all everybody listening to this comes into play. If you're someone that has been hunting for years or even newer to hunting, but have some experience, like that's what I want all of us to realize is that you know, we can play that part for somebody else. So whether it's truly getting someone else into the field or just kind of like, I can even think of a, a recent friend who just started hunting and I have never taken him hunting and never spent any time in the field together, but I've been there for him to kind of like, Hey man, ask me those stupid questions and I'll give you the answers and just, you know, make it a place where I can like help him get started. And he's doing a lot on his own, but having, as you said, having someone to kind of bounce things off of, um, can be really helpful. So I just, you know, I hope more and more of us realize that even though we may not be a, you know, hunting expert, um, I'm certainly not, but I can still like, I'm ahead of somebody else. Right. And so I can help them get to a better place or be more confident or, you know, have more capability and find more success, even if I'm still figuring things out. Totally. I, that's exactly how it was. And, and I think it kind of respawned cause he kind of self-taught himself and then I get, you know, in a new hunter, I was so overly excited about every little thing, just like a kid in a candy store. So I, I kind of, I think, re-sparked a lot of interest and excitement for him a little bit. Like, yeah, he'd been out solo for a few years and just, you know, but he always talked about like going solo is just so hard to motivate, like waking up that early on your own versus like having someone excited next to you mm-hmm. definitely helps. So it was kind of a cool like my first year we went out, which was 2019 fall. And he, we both had bull tags, but he didn't even bring his rifle half the time. He was just excited to get out, help me try and get my first elk. So, mm-hmm. which is super cool just to have someone along. But how did that first hunt go, man? Tell us about it. Uh, it was just not this previous fall, but as you said, fall of 2019, your first elk hunt after doing all this reading and research and acquiring gear and all that, like what was that first season like and what would it truly feel like, you know, to have like first encounters and hear bugles and all that? It was kind of painful to be honest. Uh, I first, <laughs> I think it went exactly like a first season should like looking back, but you know, you go out with all this excitement, expectation, and I hiked every day for 11 days of the season 
and never even saw an elk. Mm. It was, we were up, you know, 4.30 every morning. I was hiking probably averaged eight, 10 miles a day almost. Like <clears throat> I'd gotten in shape before and done a lot of overnight scouting and kind of, I heard my first bugle overnight scouting like three weeks before, which was during the rut. And, but we went out just, you know, excited, gun ho and just ton of people out and, you know, learning a ton, but just never even saw anything. My very last day of the hunt, literally last day, we got up to pretty high up. We were like 10, five and it just snowed. And we came into this area and heard a super close bugle and mm. we're like, okay, it's going to happen. And my buddy kind of did some calling. So this was pretty late, like mid October hearing a bugle, which I didn't know at the time how rare, but we, I thought for sure. And I just got into the field and position thinking that it was going to come in. And then uh, we never even saw it. The wind switched and never heard a thing again. And the hunt was over and it was kind of like a, you know, definitely a, a feeling of defeat, but like, felt like we gave it our all and I felt like I did everything I could prep wise and mm -hmm. just kind of I had done enough research to know that getting an elk your first season is a huge shot in the dark so mm -hmm. I so didn't you know kind of have yeah. that high expectation but also expectation enough to know I'm not that lucky right you didn't feel like totally dejected though of like, man, I can't do this. Like you, it sounds like you had reasonable expectations of, yeah, this is going to be hard. Yeah. And it was kind of like, I don't know, thinking back, like if I don't get one, I'm going to be so in like, all I could think about was the next year, like the season is over. And I was like, all right, it's like 11 months till next season. Yeah. I was just gun ho a little, maybe over outzealous, but <laughs> I don't know. I'm sure most of us can relate. I know I can for sure. So when did, uh, cause I believe your first big game animal then was a cow elk, right? So, um, I just want to hear about after all this research time thinking about it, you know, when it actually came together, uh, you actually kill an elk. Like, what is that like? Cause it's, it's one thing to read about it it's another thing to do it, you know, and get your hands uh, bloody and just be part of that whole process. Yeah, it was, it was interesting. So like you said, my first one, which I did end up getting um, in late November of 2019, which was a cow, cow elk. Um, lucky enough to be kind of live where we live. And uh, I had a, it's a public access private land tag. So if someone will let you on their land in this unit you can shoot a cow all the way through january but the reason those tags are available is because no one will let you on but i lucky <laughs> enough to live where i got an old timer neighbor that's kind of grandfathered in and so after this ranch owner fills his tags and anything he needs like after thanksgiving he lets him go out in the snow which he's like doesn't no one else wants to go out there and so we went out and this big herd had come down on this ranch and um, kind of been watching them for a few days, but it was really close to my house. Got out there first thing in the morning, got eyes on it pretty far away, but 
felt comfortable and yeah, my buddy was there, mentor buddy, and then this old guy that's our neighbor and took the shot on my first elk and it was exhilarating. Um, I would like read so much about the adrenaline rush and how crazy it's going to be. And it, it was there, but it wasn't like as much as I was expecting. But maybe later in, we can dive into <laughs> my first bull, which is like, the real adrenaline hit. But anyway, yeah. I got that cow and super exciting it dropped i made a good shot that was what i was obviously i think anyone most nervous about is <laughs> taking a decently long shot for your first time on an elk is just the nerves are shaking and you don't want to mess this up don't want to mess this up don't want to mess this up but yeah made it happen and dropped about 20 yards from where it hit and we went up and yeah that's my buddy and neighbor guy just sit there and it was just classic like movie they hand me a knife and i get to it <laughs> they didn't didn't help one bit they just talked me through it and made me do everything and it was awesome like you can't you can't pay for that kind of training like to have someone there actually tell them like i've been watching all of Corey's videos on you know gutless first gutted and like how to do but then all of a sudden you get there and you're looking at the animal and you don't remember anything right I was like, I could barely tell the head from the ass. And so, <laughs> so like, I was like, okay, I have no idea what I'm doing. But yeah, got it out, got the whole thing. And it was kind of a spoiled situation. Like I said, it was on private and it was in the winter. So we were able to get it down and just snowmobile it out. I live in kind of a snowmobile access cabin community. So we snowmobiled over there, put it in their trailer and pulled it out. So I felt like I like had spent so much effort planning and training and hiking and then like kind of just get it out that way. I almost feel like I didn't earn it, mm. but still it was exciting on the set less and to get me that late in the season was super exciting. Yeah. That's awesome. Uh, just to dive back into gear. I'm curious going from non-hunter don't own a rifle to researching and all everything you did for elk what did you end up choosing as a, a not specifically a rifle like uh the firearm brand but like wh what cartridge are you shooting i'm i went with 301 mag okay kept it classic and big um, yeah i i spent seriously probably like six weeks straight on that subject yeah it was kind of right when that 6.5 PRC was the hot thing. Mm -hmm. And I was doing everything I could to talk myself into getting that cartridge. And like the ballistics, everything about it just seemed so awesome. But it just, my buddy is kind of old school and he had a 300 wind mag and he's just like, you just can't beat the energy of that mm -hmm. down that range. So over and over, I like seriously had rifles on order and then i'd cancel them in six five prc <laughs> <laughs> like, okay let me so but the real determining factor my buddy does hand loading and he has everything set up for 300 wind mag and i was like yeah. this just makes sense like the energy the velocity everything's there and to be able i knew i wanted to hand load like from the beginning yeah i just gotten into that research and i knew that's only way to just have a guaranteed accurate cold bore shot at least i'm not saying that's the only way but that was yeah. my interpretation and i knew i wanted to go that road so right 
Yeah, I mean, it seems to me, and and I appreciate this, whether it's, you know, you assembling your ammunition or the way you're going to take care of your meat. Like, you just wanted to be as involved in every aspect of this and, like, have direct influence on this whole process as possible, which I think especially, you know, being a new hunter, it could be, as we've talked about, A, overwhelming just to do the basics, but, like, you went, like, all in on almost every aspect before the hunt, you know, uh, rifles and hand loading and taking care of the meat. Like, I think it's super cool. You just went all in on every aspect of it. Yeah, I... (laughs) Dilvin, I think that's kind of my blessing and my curse. I do that in a lot of most sports I get into or anything I get, I kind of go almost head over heels to where I forget about a lot of the responsibilities and kind of tune out anything else. And I'm just like, this is what matters right now. So, Mm -hmm. which I think to that degree, it was really important in that when you're choosing to kill something, I think you can't you know, you can't put any of that aside. I wanted to take everything super seriously, but I also just have a passion for researching into things. Yeah. May it, may it be overboard. <laughs> yeah. I'll have to tell my wife I'm not the only one because she's always giving me trouble about that. <laughs> like I can't just do something. I have to like go all in on it. Yep. That's kind of how I am. I get into new sports and it's like, oh, this is, the best thing ever yeah that's cool yeah man you uh you mentioned let's just dive into it the the bull that you're able to kill and much different uh kind of like context and experience to tell us that story yeah so that was just this recent hunt in october uh, rifle season again and kind of same thing I'd, all summer i didn't have as much research to do at least like i had at least my feet under me on knowing <laughs> knowing what a bugle was finally <laughs> so got over that but kind of getting in and just getting ready for the see i was looking forward to it obviously 2020 and covid kind of it made it more exciting to look forward to something but also it was a weird year and so it was just like is it going to happen am i going to be able to go interesting thing here in utah like it's pretty easy general season elk tags to get but because of covid like i think everyone and their mom that's ever hunted was like i'm gonna hunt this year because there was a meat shortage so Mm -hmm. the whole website dnr everything got overloaded and trying to get a bull tag on opening day and there's like fifty-five thousand people in line on the website and it kept crashing i'm like we might not even get a tag this year and so it was my Buddy ended up pulling one and able, he got one and then I got back on, I was at work. And so we were lucky to get a tag this year. Just usually it's like a no brainer. If you're on there the first day, anyone can basically do it, but probably shouldn't be sharing that. <laughs> but uh, so did get a tag, which was kind of weird and hard, but I knew there was going to be so many people out this year. So put a big emphasis on e-scouting and kind of like, areas we've been but i kept telling my buddy i think he was excited but also hated me for it like we got to go farther and deeper it's the only way and you know him with the more experience is like you've never packed out a mouth you don't want to go that deep and i'm just like 
I'll do anything. <laughs> <laughs> so, but anyway, we got to the hunt. We started first day. We got, we went out two days before, did some scouting, just really excited about this area and just nothing like no sign, nothing special. And so we decided to park there and we were in my side by side. And then we decided to backpack in even further from there for opening day. Got pretty deep in an opening day and we still hadn't seen anything, any sign. And we heard good three different gunshots on opening day with him. You know, it's hard to say how, when you're up on top, it could be anywhere two miles or five miles, but yeah. We heard people getting them, and every time you hear that gunshot, you're like, dang it, that could have been me. But so we decided to stick it out. We were kind of depressed because I think we were trailing on last year's, you know, discouragement of 11 days straight without seeing anything, and then going right into three days this year and still not seeing. It's like, you know, two weeks straight of no elk. It felt like kind of it was on the opening day. Yeah. So we were already letting that discouragement sink in but kind of talked ourselves into sticking out one more day and on the second day we're up on this kind of ridge line and sun came up scouting doing a little calling and nothing and we were literally about to pack it in and I swing over with my glass and I saw just a spike and two cows and I the adrenaline rush that like went through my like I looked over my buddy and he, I didn't realize he's like, you couldn't even talk. You just like stammered <laughs> and shook your hand, <laughs> you know, but as the new hunter, like I'm sure a lot of guys make fun of me, but that was really like my first time seeing elk through glass. Like it was just exciting. No, dude, I, I get it, man. I was like, oh, and he told me, and that's kind of where it's different from shooting that cow. Like you're just working so much for it that as soon as it, happened i was like i could never prepare for this this adrenaline rush i was just a mess and he's like get your gun and i was like you know, i was a little pretty nervous about the shot it was pretty far and, but i got things going i'm just like shaking i dropped my binos right away <laughs> i tried to put them into my chest pack and i just dropped them in the rocks and then i'm trying to get my gun and getting kind of into position and finally got him in the scope and I could not keep that thing still. It was nuts, but kind of like, I was like, okay, you know, everyone kind of searches for that adrenaline rush. And I was like, I don't like this. This is like, this is too much. I can't handle it, but kind of luckily it's far enough away. We've been, we had some time as grazing out in this far field across this pond and, you know, I started just doing all this breathing and obviously being a vegan, you got to have some yoga background. So, <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that's good. You got into that mentality. Aspect. Yeah. Got all Zen you know. before you go yeah. back. Yeah. I'm probably not many yogis doing yogi breathing, holding a rifle. <laughs> that's, that's awesome. Kind of finally calmed down, got everything. I just kept checking my ballistics app and I'm like looking at numbers, rearranging, doing it all and just finally get calm enough and took the shot and the buddy was watching behind me and it hit first hit and kind of stumbled and wandered. 
and was kind of wallowing a little bit and took one more shot and it was down and it was like I mean that experience out you just can't you can't pay for it you can't do it I don't think I think all the research and everything leading up to it all those nights imagining that scenario Mm -hmm. when it paid off it was unreal like i've tried to explain it to other people and if you don't hunt which majority of the people i know don't it's just like i just quit talking i'm like yeah you won't understand but yeah an experience yeah dude it is tough for sure um yeah even it just reminds me of like even conversations i've had since i shot that bull in october as well it's like there's certain people you start to tell a story to but then you're just like I'd for just forget you know what i mean like not to your face that's not what you say but in your head you're like never mind like i just can't explain it you know i can't put like words or even like value to the experience of it uh i totally get it and i i just keep going back myself i'm like me four years ago three years ago i, I would have been the same yeah like my buddy literally told me something not with as much passion i don't think as <laughs> i've gotten into but I'm like, oh yeah, like that sounds cool, but you just, you don't know, you don't understand. So mm-hmm. it's a tough, but it was cool. And it was, you know, like I say, I think being that with that vegan, not eating meat, like a lot more respect and kind of pressure on myself to make a clean kill and make sure everything I'm doing is to the best of my abilities. Mm-hmm. I wasn't just out there for fun. Like it was, you know, I'm harvesting meat and I just, I put a lot of pressure on myself to make sure it was hundred percent. I'm doing everything I can to make sure this thing doesn't suffer and kind of respect it in that way. Not to get with that said, like, no, I, that's great, dude. With that said, like that respect, that's the seriousness you treat the opportunity in the animal's life. Like how did that translate to, as you said, a longer shooting opportunity, and you need to say what that distance is. But when you first get that elk in the scope and you have a longer shot and adrenaline's pumping and, you know, the reticles bouncing, were you just at a place where you just weren't going to shoot unless you could calm yourself? Yeah, totally. I was, at first I was like, no way, this is too far. And then I'm like, it was dead calm. Like you could have thrown a feather hundred yards in the air and it would have landed right back on top of you. So I knew that was the first, I was like, okay, it's, I knew it was calm as could be not a lot of wind pattern in this shooting lane I was in. So that part is there, but yeah, I was a hundred percent. Like I had no way of getting closer because of the situation, we're in, but I knew I wasn't going to take it unless I was dead calm surprise shot right where I wanted. So it, I probably spent three, four minutes behind the scope kind of getting there. Mm-hmm. And once I, I'd spent a minute, once I calmed down, I was like, okay, I can lock this in. And, um, I even kind of, uh, I left my safety on kind of did like two surprise poles, but just to see if I was twitching mm-hmm. and, you know, you kind of pull on that trigger and if you jump in and so, and I finally just, there's obviously going to be some motivation there to put a bowl down. So I, 
I'm not going to say like I would have walked away, no problem, but I did want to make sure it happened. And that was a huge factor. I knew enough about the shooting and research. Like I'd put enough effort into my load and into my gun and into my practice to know like I could do a cold bore shot comfortably practicing when I had needed to and all the practice. So I felt confident there. I knew that I joked with my buddy. I was like, dude, that's far. I was like, I know my gun can do it. I just don't know if I can do it. <laughs> like the <laughs> ballistics, the bullet, the gun, the scope, like it was no problem. It's the human factor, but at least that's kind of where I met researching. And like, like I had hundred percent confidence in my gear. Mm-hmm. So it just puts the pressure on me and I finally decided to take it and it worked. But yeah, I think you got to put that pressure. Like I have another buddy that's gotten into hunting. He's never shot anything, but like kind of, you know, not talking down or anything, but just kind of store-bought rifle, $300 scope. And I was like, I, I'm like, I won't let you shoot past 200 yards, 300 yards. Like in fact, it just, not saying anyone can't, but there's just, you take out that confidence in the gear and I don't, I think it becomes an issue. That's my opinion. Obviously. No, it's, it's helpful. <laughs> One thing you uh, mentioned to me in the emails, we were chatting before the podcast and I'm just going to kind of read this and then I want to hear more about it. As you said, there's such an increase in hunting and general outdoor activity it's more important than ever for us to create a good image for others to respect. Being around non-hunters most of my life, I have seen how most people look at and judge hunters. Um, yeah, just expand on that. And I agree. I'm just curious, like, what are maybe some examples or like very specific ways that you see that play out? Whether it's, I mean, you can talk about kind of that non-hunter hunter judging the hunter but i'm as curious in like what you said of it's more important than ever for us as hunters to create a good image for others to respect that's a tough one it's like i think can go really far into that but i think in general i think we all understand that hunters you know coming from non-hunters you see a guy in camo or an orange on an atv ripping down the road you're just like ah that guy just dusted me out like being a mountain biker and you're like this guy just dusted me out he doesn't care about anything you just they can i think non-hunters tend to you know judge overbearingly for how those guys are doing and how they respect the environment stuff they kind of seem like people that are taking advantage of environment leaving beer cans at camp and dragging fifth wheels into the middle of woods that have no roads and which they don't all do, but that's just, you know, you take a few people that make a bad image for everyone. But the more I learned about hunting and guys that actually have a successful, I think success rate of the guys that are, they're more in shape, they're going further. They'd respect the animals more than any person that doesn't eat meat. And they put so much, you know, we put a lot of effort and time into this aspect of, learning about this animal just because we want to kill it doesn't make us dehuman it just makes us i think more respectable and i think people have a disconnect with that but as well i think portraying that that it's hard to get a conversation going with a non-hunter and 
you know, not saying you have to defend it, but kind of explaining what you're out there doing. Like I always joke, we're just glorified bird watchers because you're really just out there <laughs> hiking around being really quiet, really not making an impact and really enjoying nature and looking at everything. And at least for me, the most important thing I can see is wanting to be able to access this land for ever and ever. And so making sure you're, you know, you're not the guy driving the four wheeler past the road sign that where the trail starts and the dirt road ends and just to get another hundred yards and rip down a fence. Like I saw that this year, there's, we parked and there's three four wheelers, another hundred yards that just tore up this whole hillside just cause they didn't want to hike up a hundred feet, a hundred yard hill. And that's the kind of, I think respect and leaving a bad image for non hunters that some people use as examples, but I don't know if that answered the question or if I just went off on a tangent, but <laughs> no, it's good. I mean, um, yeah, as you said, I mean, we could have a whole podcast, like we could talk about that for an hour. Um, it's yeah. a, it's a big topic. I think one thing that, you know, comes to mind for me, like what you said is a lot of the, a lot of the things that don't show hunting in a good light are the things that are most visible. Um, and a lot of the guys who are hunting in a very respectful way and are very successful and are great representatives, um, of hunting, a lot of, the, of those guys are actually tend to be really quiet and like reserved and like they don't care to be super vocal, um, which I 100% understand. But I think when the, the good side isn't shown and the, the good story isn't told, uh, then sometimes it's those negative things that get all the publicity and press. And so I would just say that more and more it is important uh, in even small ways to do the right thing. Like you said, even if, uh, you can go that extra hundred yards on a four wheeler, like don't, if you're passing the sign, um, those, those small things matter, but then also, uh, tell the good story. Like in, um, yeah, we just need to get the positive side out there too. Cause I think it's happening. Um, and I think it's happening in big ways. And I think the, the majority uh, is good, but unfortunately it isn't, uh, the majority that always gets the publicity, if you will, it's the controversy, right? Exactly. Like, yeah, it's just human nature to focus on the negative thing instead of the positive sometimes. But yeah, I think there's a ton of, like I say, like the more research I did, like the more serious hunters that I listen to here, especially bow hunting world, like guys in shake going up you know leave no trace packing light taking stuff they're not littering they're not causing any disruptions and those are the true hunters i think that are getting still on their tags and literally leaving the place better than they left it as my eyes see and it's just yeah portraying that to other people getting people to understand that is in the big community aspects is really important I don't know how to do that, but I think you nailed it. Yeah. Kind of tell the good story, not the bad. Yeah. I mean, I can throw Steve under the bus cause he's not on this podcast, but like even those little things, like when Steve and I uh, left our Idaho elk camp, like it with, we were literally pulling away, like 
had packed up, you know, this base camp that we had set up that we backpacked out of. And we were at this base camp for a few days. And so, you know, we had presence there. Uh, and it was kind of not an established campsite, but it had been used. But anyway, we're packing up. We're kind of doing like the last walk around check of how are we leaving this place? Are we forgetting anything? Uh, we were pulling a trailer. So we were doing like a final inspection on, you know, connection there and all that. And like, we're literally getting ready to you know, we'd been packing up for essentially an hour plus and now we're getting ready to hit the road and leave this place. And I literally hopped in the truck and I thought Steve was hopping in the truck too. And he walks away and we had, uh, left a small piece of like rope, um, on this meat pole that we know we were hanging our meat from for a few days. And like, he went back purposely to go back and get that and just pull it. And it's like, you know, that's no big deal, but that is like it, you know, and I'm not throwing anybody under the bus. We're like, oh my God, you left a piece of rope on a meat pole. But like, to me, even that, like nobody's there. He, he didn't know I was going to say that on a podcast that he's not even on, like nobody's around, but it's those little things that are like encouraging to me when just nobody's looking and you're still doing the right thing. I mean, that's what all of us need to try and do more of, because even when we think nobody's looking, uh, a lot of times people are paying attention. I mean, case in point, I'm telling the story now that Steve has no idea about, right? Yeah. I, Exactly. I think you just, yeah, leaving no trace. And I think it's kind of, I don't know, I can't think of how to say it, but yeah, exactly what you said. It's just doing the right thing when no one's looking. And I think you don't think that anyone else is going to be in that spot unless it's another hunter and they would understand seeing a rope on a meat pole. But any non-hunter sees that and it's clearly most people determine that's from a hunter and they're like, golly, stupid hunters leaving trash in the woods, you know, like it just would always get blamed on hunting community, even though it might not necessarily be that way. At least that's around my area. I feel like. Right. I've done a lot. I grew up backpacking in these same mountains that I just started hunting in. And so I loved going overnights and long back, back trips to the woods and, you know, that's a good sign of other people and stuff like that. It was usually some hunters. And so it kind of gives you that bad taste in your mouth. And I developed that on my own and now seeing it from the other side, I'm like, well, it's just a, yeah, just a meat pole and some rope. Like this is, they have so much other things going through their head, but at the same time, like you say, it's not that hard to take it home. Cool, man. Um, yeah, hit a lot. That was good. What's uh, I'm just curious as you've gotten more into hunting now and obviously elk there at home for you is an amazing opportunity. But now that you're hunting, do you have like other hunts that you're interested in or anything you're kind of like planning or working towards in terms of other species, other places, anything like that? Uh, not yet. Uh, not going to say I won't, but yeah, I definitely, the elk has got all my attention right now. And um super into it. I I bought my first bow the day after rifle season this year. <laughs> nice. So I've been I finally it's been eighteen months since my shoulder surgery and I started seeing this new physical therapist and I finally get my shoulder strong. So I got a, a bow turned down to fifty pounds and I was able to pull it back and I'm like, game on. Yeah. So I'm putting really excited about that so it's not necessarily new hunt new animal but well new hunt but yeah everything i've yeah learned know about bow hunting and so i'm kind of excited to 
spend my whole next year going into that realm and I feel like it's just a whole nother world. Yeah. So yeah. learning. I got my diaphragm calls and been taking them in my truck on my way to work and <laughs> so I'm excited for that. But cool man. I think that's a cool and yeah, like you say, I'm super fortunate to live where we are and so I can do a bow and a rifle hunt on the elk and don't have to go too far. Yeah, it's great. Well, we appreciate the time, man, and thanks for uh, thanks for sharing the story and the perspective. Like I said up front, it's uh, I just I value being able to talk to somebody with a different ex- perspective and experience, and uh, I've pulled a lot from this one. And I'm sure the listeners have as well. So thank you. Yeah, I'm honored to be on here. Thanks for having me on. It was a cool experience. Been listening, to you guys, for a while now, so it was fun to chat. Well, I hope you guys enjoyed that one. Whether you are the newer hunter who's learning, maybe learning how to hunt elk and picked up some tips, that'd be great. But if you're the experienced guy, I hope you pulled away from Randy's story that we all have a part to play with helping others get into hunting. Whether that's leaving a good impression of hunters or taking someone under our wing to help them get started hunting. As always, guys, thank you so much for tuning in. Don't forget, you can contact us directly by email to podcast at exomountaindeer.com. And if you haven't yet, hit that subscribe button. We'll talk to you soon.